Welcome in to the Most Accurate Podcast presented by 444.com. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. Mike Alexander is joining me on the show today to recap Week 12 and work the Week 13 waiver wire as we prep for the fantasy football playoffs. Before we get to him, I need to let you know that the music on today's show is Carry the Zero by Built to Spill from their 1999 album Keep It Like a Secret. The band just wrapped up a tour for the 20th anniversary of that record. It did, I didn't make it to any of the shows, unfortunately, but I still want to shout out the album here on Team App. It's one of my favorites. To hear Carry the Zero in full, plus all the other songs I use on my episodes, click the link in the show notes to the Team App B-Sides playlist on Spotify. Today's show is sponsored by FantasyDraft.com, the one and only rake-free DFS site in the business. What does rake-free mean? It means that 100% of entry fees at Fantasy Draft are paid out to contest winners. If you want to try them out on a seven-day trial, go to FantasyDraft.com, sign up with the promo code 4 for 4 that's 4-F-O-R-4, and say goodbye to the rake. Now let's say hello to Mike Alexander. You can find his work at Fantasy Alarm and Razball. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Roto underscore Wan, and that's W-A-N like Obi-Wan. Mike, I'm sure we could do an entire show going off on Star Wars like Mandalorian, all that stuff, but <laughs> we got to talk fantasy football, and I want to start things off with an update from you on the Raz Bowl. This is a, a big tournament setting. Uh, why don't you explain to the folks uh, what you guys got going on over there from Raz Bowl with the Raz Bowl? Right, yeah, so we jumped in... Uh feet first this offseason during draft season and thought, you know, there's there's a space. There, there's a lot of competitions out there for the industry, but there's a space left, I think, for best ball. And and that's one of the things I love most in fantasy football. Uh, Donkey Teeth uh, approached me and said, you know, do you think we can get something going? And I said, absolutely. I think it would be successful. Uh, we had 180 people in, in the actual Raz Bowl, along with a very full uh, qualifier league for fans that, you know, if they wanted to jump in, the winners of the of the league will be in the actual Raz Bowl next year with the experts that, you know, you, it's fun to rub elbows with in a real league. And, the uh, you know, we, we, we approached it with a little bit of a unique twist. We called it Better Ball, where we only gave $10 of fab for the first nine weeks. And I, I think it worked really well because you had so many QB injuries early. And in best ball, if you lose one of your two QBs, you're just in such big trouble. So, you know, guys who had Cam Newton and, and were, were hoping he was going to come back to full health and then had a foot issue that was not even on our radar. Now you can drop him, add Kyle Allen or whoever else uh, y- you can manage to scrape off the wire and at least be competitive. You know, you're, you're not a, you're not a dead duck anymore. Yeah, I really appreciated that limited fab aspect of the format because you're right. Best ball is a, a ton of fun. But one of the things that makes it frustrating is when you do have one of those key injuries that just kind of submarines your season. And so to be able to supplement your team just with a very small number of pickups, like at the most you can make 10. And if you wanted to bid more than a dollar on a player, you have even fewer ads than 10. But just that little bit of flexibility, I think, goes a long way. And I really enjoyed the format. I admittedly screwed up the fab system. I didn't realize we wouldn't be able to pick up players after week nine. Uh, Knowing that, I probably would have spent a little bit more frivolously. And in that last week of fab, I definitely would have made a lot more changes because I wanted to try to keep some flexibility into the playoffs. I didn't read the rules. I blew it. That's on me. Know your league rules, people. This is very important. Uh, But yeah, it's it's been super fun. Um, I'm just barely through the cut line in the championship tier uh, as we head into Monday Night Football tonight. But uh, we were talking a little bit ahead of the podcast here. I have to sweat a lot of the teams that have Lamar Jackson going tonight uh, because I'm just barely making the cut as it is. And I, I don't know, man. I have a feeling once Lamar uh, gets going in that game, I'm, I'm probably going to fall out. But we'll see. You know, but you've got some hope, I think. L.A. has got a really good defense and a really athletic defense, and that could be trouble for Lamar. Uh, you know, not that 
he probably doesn't have a floor, but he might not have that that 25, 30 point ceiling that we've been seeing. Um, but yeah, and, that, and the other the other thing we touched on there that the the playoff format, it's the NFC's cut line format. And what they do is they take your your weeks one through nine average, and that's one of your scores. And then you play weeks 10, 11 and 12 uh, for the first round. So it's a very even playing field. You're not going to get somebody who pops that just owned Derrick Henry this week. Uh, it got their two touchdowns and, and managed to beat you because it was kind of a pedestrian week for your, every everybody on your team. Um, and it, it's similar throughout the rest of the of the season. You use your playoff average, your regular season average, and then that actual week for the uh, playoff rounds as we advance. Um, and I'm I'm a really big fan of that because I think that gives you a truer measure of who the best team is. Um, so really excited to have the NFC on board, and, and they've been a great partner for us. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how this all plays out. And you and I are going to try to do a you know a Raz Bowl centric podcast, maybe over on the two QBs feed at some point uh, down the road here as the season winds down. But uh, for now, let's let's call it quits on that. Let's move over to our Week 12 recap and. I want to dig into the running back position with you because this is something that we always have to pay very close attention to during the fantasy playoffs is finding those running backs who kind of come out of nowhere to produce at a high level or at least get volume at a high level. And you do the RB workload piece over at Fantasy Alarm. What did you see in week 12 that stood out to you in terms of running back workloads? Uh, were there any big surprises? Was there you know, a certain player who... You know, really exceeded your expectations or maybe uh, underwhelmed you? Uh, what, where are you at with this stuff coming out of Week 12? Yeah, I think the biggest surprise would be Rashad Penny uh, of the Seahawks. Uh, he outtouched Chris Carson 14-8. to eight, um, And it, not only did he outtouch him, but he had success against a Philadelphia team that has a really stout run defense most of the time. Uh, broke some really big chunk gains. And, you know, Chris Carson had, had two fumbles in the game. That brings him to eight on the season. And the staff had been patient with him. You know, they'd stuck with him. But with Penny being this effective in a game combined with two two fumbles, you really have to be worried as a Carson owner. And, and Penny showed some of that, that flash that got him drafted in the first round. Um, just powerful running, hard to tackle, and, and, and long chunk gains. So that's probably going to be the priority add for a lot of people. Yeah, we're going to talk more about him in the waiver section of the show, but just kind of big picture, are you buying this change at running back? Do you think this is Penny's backfield going forward? I wouldn't say it's Penny's backfield, but I think the split gets a lot more even. They they may still start Carson. You know, they, you don't like to take a starter's job if you don't have to. And, uh, you know, as long as he doesn't fumble again, he's probably got a little life left, but... Penny is probably a better pure runner. Chris Carson's just more of a power guy. He runs people over. They're a big fan of that style, obviously. But Penny's got good power as well and, and probably a little more wiggle. So he, he adds another dimension that, that if he gets on the field, that can keep him on the field. Do you forecast any other shakeups at running back as we wind down this season? Are there any other backfields that you expect to be shaken up a little bit as we go forward? Another one to keep an eye on, I guess, would be Atlanta with uh, Brian Hill and Quadri Olson. Uh, they had pretty even touches. Olson had eight. Hill had nine. Olson scored the touchdown. Uh, you know, he looks a little more spry than Hill. Hill's kind of a one-dimensional power back with without a lot of ability. And you've got Devonta Freeman on the horizon with with the ankle, and I don't think he's probably going to be ready right away this week. Um, something to keep, you know, just in in mind if you're going to put a, a bid in on Olsen, don't go nuts because it could be short lived. 
What is your take on the Patriots' backfield right now? Because ever since Rex Burkhead got healthy enough to come back and start pilfering some snaps, James White has kind of fallen off a cliff. Sony Michelle has been hit or miss. Damian Harris still can't see the field. What are you doing with the Pats running backs? Yeah, there's two backfields you won't touch uh, outside of best ball for me, and that's the Patriots and the Eagles. They're rotations. They're unpredictable. You don't know when it's going to be a, a game that they're going to use the backs as receivers or if they're going to use their more hard-nosed runners. Just too hard to predict. Uh, and like you said, you, you've got a lot of mouths uh, to feed in, in that rotation. Um, I'm, I'm probably not interested in any of them. If you had to pick one other backfield to generally avoid, which would it be? Maybe Washington right now. You, you saw AP and, and Darius Geis split the, the carries 10 apiece. A, AP's the veteran. They're probably not going to bench him given that their season is lost and there's no point to to make him waves in the clubhouse, I guess. Uh, Geis is getting touches. They are going to get a look at him, his tape. Uh, and he's coming off of a knee injury, so you don't want to overwork him. Yeah, the other one that kind of stands out to me along those lines is the Steelers' backfield. And not to say there isn't value there, but... It just seems like week to week, they're really in flux. Like this past week, week 12, Benny Snell suddenly got 20 plus carries. Mm -hmm. And uh, James Conner might be back soon. We we don't really know exactly how that's going to shake out until Conner is fully healthy, right? Yeah, that's the big thing there is whether Connor's active or not, and they, uh, he and Snell do pretty much the same thing. I guess, I guess Connor's a better pass catcher, but Connor kind of dictates what that backfield does with or without him. What else stood out to you in Week 12 besides all this running back stuff we're looking at? Uh, you've got um, some surprising teams uh, making making some waves. You get the Buccaneers. They uh, all of a sudden turn the tables on the Falcons in a divisional game uh, in the Falcons building. The Steelers really, you know, they're they're finding ways to win, but oh man, it's ugly. They, yep. they, <laughs> you know, they they had to bench Rudolph. Uh, it's 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 such a Mike Tomlin esque season. Like they're they're managing to win games, but just so such poor play. He's just somehow managing to get that team the, into the win column week after week. You've got the Jaguar Titans game, predictable as usual. You know those teams feel like they either play a game that's like nine to six or forty two to twenty. Yeah, that Falcons Bucks one was one that I kind of saw coming. I feel like any expectation of the Falcons kind of continuing to roll was a little recency biasy, if that makes sense. I got recency biased big time there. I, I was uh, I was all over the Falcons defense and fading Jameis. Oh yeah, see, I was I picked uh, the I picked the Bucks to cover there. Uh, I think they were four and a half point underdogs, and I wasn't really afraid of using Jameis or any of the receivers there. And that's kind of ultimately the thing there is I don't really think you can get away from that offense, even if you you are worried about the turnovers that Jameis presents, because every turnover he generates just leads to more catch up mode and more passing. Like it's kind of a, a, a foolproof or an idiot proof quarterback situation. It's not pretty. You don't like watching it if he's on your team, but he's right. a guy that you can run out there every week, I think, for that reason. Yeah, it's a feature, not a bug when it comes to fantasy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, but yeah, if you're trying to win games, if you're the, the Buccaneers owner or the general manager, maybe you're not quite as pleased. It'll be interesting to see uh, what they do as they move on. 
And speaking of Jameis and quarterbacks in general, that was kind of what stood out to me. It was just the variance at the QB position. We got good to solid games from Ryan Tannehill, Sam Darnold, Kyle Allen, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Mitchell Trubisky. And there were some really rough days for guys that we would expect to be good, even in the face of bad matchups, right? Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Dak Prescott, even Derek Carr had a lot of buzz going into that game. I think what stands out to me about a lot of these guys is that maybe we can tie this to the rough weather situation that we saw here on the East Coast. Um, A lot of the games here on the East Coast were very cold, very windy. Uh, This was something that I think impacted a lot of the passing games and kicking games for these teams. And it's something that we have to pay attention to as we go forward down the stretch here, because it's not like the weather's going to get any better as we head into December. Did anything else stand out to you about the quarterback position? Because it was kind of a wacky week. It was, it was really rough uh, relative, I think to a lot of our expectations. Yeah. A lot of folks, you know, had, had a pretty definitive game plan. Matt Ryan was going to go off. Julio was going to go off. Uh, you mentioned some other people in there that, that seemed like, you know, safe havens and, and they weren't. Um, the, one of the things I tried to pay particular attention to was something the the guys on the, the four for four DFS MVP pod mentioned uh, was looking for games, not only with a big uh, over under, but also a close line, because that that's going to imply that the other team is going to be in it and pushing things back and forth so that the, the Buccaneers and Falcons was like the perfect example of that. And I, I somehow didn't you know, put it together and hit on that one. Uh, I guess I just had a blind spot there. But, you know, that's exactly what you want as a team pushing each other back and forth. Let's get to our booms of the week, and we'll start with which starters made the biggest or most unexpected positive impact on your fantasy teams. Mike, who was that for you? For me, uh, a lot of best ball shares of both Chris Godwin and DJ Moore, so that could not have come at a better time, nice. getting, getting real close to the, to the final push here. In DFS, I, w- I went 100% Derrick Henry just at the price. I didn't see anybody near him. It was maybe a fish move I uh, <laughs> to, to, to have that much of a guy that could disappear without the touchdowns but i just seeing what what happened the, the prior week uh, against jacksonville you know I, I just couldn't get around putting henry in every lineup no it was the same he was in all of my lineups as well and i don't play a ton of dfs but he was in every one because when you're going through that running back position in dfs you kind of want to find at least one guy who's a good bargain and if it's a player like Henry who has that workload that's just locked in, a guy that you know that they want to run, and it was in a great matchup against the Jaguars. The Jaguars just routinely have had issues stopping Derrick Henry. It felt like a smash spot for him. I'm glad that he delivered on that. It was chalky, but it paid off. Uh, for me, Jonathan Williams, man, we have to go back to Thursday Night Football, but he really exceeded my expectations. I figured that because Jordan Wilkins was active for that game, we would see him cut into the workload of Jonathan Williams a little bit. Naheem Hines is there too, and he didn't do a whole lot. Now, I will admit, when I was watching the game, I thought Naheem Hines looked pretty good, and at times he looked better than Jonathan Williams, but Williams is the guy who got all the workload and ended up with a a lot of yards uh, and a score. This is something that I'm not sure we can count on going forward, though. What do you think about Jonathan Williams? Are you buying or selling? I was buying coming into the week, given what the Colts want to do and their offensive line. I just thought, you know, the opportunity is there. I'm not going to worry about Jordan Wilkins coming back, especially a running back with, with, you know, a lower body injury that sometimes is something that coaching staffs may stay away from, uh, sap some of their bursts. So uh, I went pretty big on him and, and obviously it paid off this week. Like you said, going going forward, we're going to have to see how things shake out. There, there's obviously the threat of Wilkins if he gets healthier. Um, but I, I think 
Williams has played well enough to keep him on the bench, but Hines is the real threat. If they don't, if they don't stay in games that they're they're leading, or you know a, a close game, Hines is going to be on the field a lot more. He's a much more talented pass catcher. Obviously, he's a little bit more explosive. Uh, so he could be a sneaky play if, if they get into games uh, that they need to to score in. Which Week Twelve benching or DFS fade do you regret the most, and what do you think you missed with that player? Like I mentioned, the, the Jameis fade was a big one. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, coming off the week with the turnovers and the Falcons made that uh, switch at defensive coordinator is now making the play calls and they were all of a sudden posting lots of points. Uh, so I, uh, I I got bit there. I also thought Dak was going to go into New England and at least have a serviceable game. Uh, I, I guess doubting the Patriots defense this season is just something we're, we're going to have to not ever do. You got Saquon Barkley just still really having a, a tough season. Uh, you know, there's talk is at the ankle, maybe, but the whole team is just uh, not in the right space. The, from the ownership on down through management and coaching, they're just such a vanilla team, and that's going to always be a problem in, in the NFL. If you don't if you don't take risks, you're just going to be unsuccessful on the long term. I think. Yeah, it's been tough to watch with Saquon, and I do think the injury probably is playing some part, if not a large part, so I would be worried about him if I was a Barkley owner. I have him in one of my leagues, but I I can't help but start him, right? It's one of those situations where if you invest that sort of capital on a player, it's unlikely that you're going to have other running backs to start ahead of someone like Barkley, Uh, so I'm just going to have to write it out and see how it goes. Hopefully they can turn it around. Uh, My biggest regret from Week 12 was fading A.J. Brown. I started him in one of my leagues where I'm kind of forced to. It's just one of those that's just such a deep format that you'll take any wide receiver who's going to get six to eight targets. Uh, But I failed to pick him up in a couple other places, and I didn't use him in DFS because I was skeptical of projecting that wide receiver one workload. I'm kicking myself now, but Brown has been so up and down that I might still be proven right in future weeks. I'm not really sure about that. I think the biggest takeaway to me is that the Jags secondary is one that we can exploit in fantasy. I mean, the Jags defense in general, is one that we can still go after. And that might be, you know, a little counterintuitive relative to the expectations that we have based on previous seasons. Uh, But what do you think about A.J. Brown? Do you think that he's going to keep this going down the stretch? Because we've seen him post these big weeks previously this season and then just fall back into, you know, a three to five target obscurity the next week. Right. It's it's just very unpredictable. So like you said, in a league where you need him, he's going to be probably in your lineup with with that hope of a bust uh, boom game. But just the team philosophy, they they're not going to air the ball out unless they're they're leading and it's it's fairly easy to do. Uh, they're going to want to run the ball, run the ball, have safe passing games. And and Brown does have the athletic ability to, to break tackles and make big plays on his own off of the short passing game. But it's something that's hard to count on. Yeah, and that's what we saw from him earlier in the year. He, when he was going off in week one, it wasn't like he was on eight targets then. I think he only had three in that game. So uh, there is hope for him, even if the target share does dwindle. But yeah, it's something you got to be a little concerned about. Another guy that I faded who I regret is Kyle Allen. I could have started him in Scott Fishbowl, although it's not like I would have started him over Dak Prescott, right? And uh, yeah. that's just going to echo what you were saying about Prescott being someone who you expected more from. He's definitely on my radar for bust of the week. Uh, because I, like you, thought that he could go into New England and put up some points. The Dallas Cowboys, I think, had the best offense in the league, according to DVOA, heading into that matchup. And it seemed, with Amari Cooper healthy, it seemed like they had the pieces there to make it work. But yeah, facing that defense in the 
bad weather, it just seems like Prescott wasn't really all there for that matchup, unfortunately. Uh, who was your bust of the week? Which player made the most unexpected negative impact on your teams? I'd probably have to say Russell Wilson. Uh, you know, I was kind of heavy on him in, in DFS. I, I didn't take the weather into account, you know, that it was going to be wet. And there was some some bad luck there with DK Metcalf dropping a, a pass that was close to a touchdown. It was a hard catch. Um, sailed one over Hollister's head, too. Yeah, sailed that one. So, you know, there were some missed opportunities, and neither offensive line in that game was, was blocking very well. Maybe it was a factor of the, the wet conditions and, and not, you know, being able to uh, hunker down. But uh, just tons of turnovers in that game that normally should have led to more points. Yeah. For me, it's Amari Cooper. I mean, just the the full goose egg, the donut in Week 12, not looking good in a lot of my lineups. And I was wondering if maybe this would make him a good potential buy low. Uh, we're going to get to that shortly. But then I looked at his upcoming schedule, and it's pretty rough. The Cowboys get Buffalo on Thanksgiving. Then they go on the road at Chicago. Then they get the Rams. That, that's Jalen Ramsey time there. And then they're at Philadelphia in Week 16. Philly's secondary hasn't been great this season, so maybe that's a good matchup. But mm-hmm. if you have to wait, four weeks to get to that matchup. Are we really all that excited about Amari Cooper? Now, I don't know if you can bench him uh, unless you have a real embarrassment of riches at wide receiver, but this is a little concerning coming up, right? Yeah, for me, coming out of next week after the Thanksgiving game, they're going to have a little more time. Maybe he can get a little healthier. I, I you know, I don't I think he's you know, he's on the field obviously, but I don't think he's obviously back to full strength. And um, the the Bears haven't quite been um the defense we expect it although now that i'm looking at the schedule they play thursday again against the bears coming out of the thanksgiving break so you might have to wait for the rams for for him to be healthier <laughs> yeah we'll see I, I like i said i don't think you can move off of him just because it's tough to have it assuming he's healthy it's tough to find wide receivers who have that level it's tough to find uh, players who have that confluence of talent and workload uh, like amari cooper does uh, but let's move on let's get to those by lows which player's poor performance in Week 12 makes them a good buy-low option leading into Week 13, do you think? Uh, there's a lot of receivers, I think, that, that kind of let people down. Everybody not named Michael Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, as long as Matt Ryan's healthy, I mean, Julio's always a buy-low. He's always got big games in him. I like T.Y. Hilton on that list as well. Now that he's back healthy, he was on a bit of a snap count in that Thursday night game, but he's had extra time mm-hmm. to get ready for Week 13, and his upcoming schedule is... Tennessee at Tampa Bay at New Orleans and then Carolina in week 16. So Tennessee is not a great, great matchup, but their cornerbacks, while they're fine or not, you know, total lockdown players. I think that between that matchup and then the really good ones against Tampa Bay and New Orleans, Hilton uh, makes for a good buy low as well. Anybody else stand out to you at wide receiver? As far as a buy low, you got the Detroit offense uh, with Jeff Driscoll back there. People are probably kind of hesitant to use any Detroit option right now. But they've all got that big game ability. So if you're kind of desperate, that that could be an uh, avenue to take. Yeah, and they've got a couple of good matchups coming up as well. Week 13, Chicago isn't great. But then they're at Minnesota in Week 14. The Vikings secondary is a little overrated. And then Tampa in Week 15, which we all know is one of the best matchups we can have for our receivers. Uh, one other I'll throw out there, Dallas Goddard. Didn't do a whole lot in Week 12, but the targets were there. They're so banged up at wide receiver that Goddard is effectively their number two receiver behind Zach Ertz. And if you can pick him up for pennies on the dollar or maybe just pick him up off waivers, so we'll mention Goddard again later in that regard, uh, there could be something there. I think that he's a, a guy to go out and get, despite the fact that he didn't do a whole lot this past week. Um, let's talk about some injuries here. I want to talk about one 
key injury that doesn't really relate to the waiver wire first, uh, and that's Brian Balaga, the Green Bay right tackle. He hurt his knee against the 49ers, and I think it's hard to know how much of Green Bay's offensive struggles were because of the opponent they were facing. You know, San Francisco's defense is pretty stingy, uh, but maybe this injury to Balaga, he went out in the second quarter, had something to do with the struggles for Aaron Rodgers and for Aaron Jones. Uh, What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that that might just mean that Green Bay is going to be even more run-centric than they've been. You know, Rodgers obviously is not putting up anywhere near the season that, that we expected and it would be in line with his career. Uh, they they want to run the ball more. They're playing a lot safer. They're not letting him kind of do that that scramble, scramble, scramble and, and find somebody deep. Uh, I think I think LaFleur is trying to rein him in with that in the most subtle way possible. But yeah, you know, that, that offensive line gave up a lot of pressure to the 49ers who do have a very good uh, defensive front stacked with a lot of first round, early first round picks. Uh, so, you know, there could be better days ahead in that regard, but yeah, I, I think uh, the green Bay passing game is not something you want to depend on at the moment. Yeah. And it's not like they're a ton of tough matchups coming up for them until week 15 and 16 uh in week 13 they're at the giants and then week 14 they're home for washington those defensive lines don't really put the fear of god into you so you have to wait until week 15 against chicago week 16 against minnesota those games i'd be a little bit more worried but maybe by then Belaga could be back and and everything will be fine we'll see we're going to get to the waiver wire portion of the show shortly but first let's take a break for the sponsor of the show Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free daily fantasy site in the business. They're running the largest rake-free contests out there each and every week. And all told, they're paying out millions of dollars in prizes over the course of the season. All of those winnings are rake-free. That's right, Fantasy Draft is the only daily fantasy site with no management fees taken out of the prize pools. And this is not just a limited promotion. While other DFS sites can continue to raise their rakes, squeeze prize pools, and make it harder for players like you to win, Fantasy Draft's contests remain rake-free. Sign up at FantasyDraft.com today with promo code 444 and you'll get a free 7-day trial on your first $1,000 of rake-free entry fees. That's FantasyDraft.com with promo code 444, the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4. Don't miss your shot at millions of dollars in prizes this season. Start playing rake-free at FantasyDraft.com today. All right, Mike, let's dig into Week 13 waivers. Bye weeks are over. There are no more buys, so we've got the full player pool to work with here and as usual we're going to try to stick to players who are under 50% ownership in Yahoo leagues but as I told you before the show feel free to bend the rules go off the board for unlisted players if you think it makes sense to do that let's start at running back we talked about Jonathan Williams Uh, I'm going to add Bo Scarborough to this early discussion here I think it's officially time to get both these guys up to 100% ownership Uh, Williams is at 62% Scarborough's at 43 Uh, these guys need to be rostered everywhere right yeah, definitely. Uh, Williams, I have a little more confidence in. I think their offense is maybe a little bit more consistent, uh, the Colts, that is. With Scarborough, losing a fumble kind of worries me, uh, given that there's other options in that backfield. We'll, we'll see how that, that affects his his workload next week, but it's two straight weeks of, of you know, uh, middle teens production as far as touches, and that's uh, that's something you can't sneeze at. Who else are you looking at at running back off the wire? Yeah, so the big one we mentioned, Rashad Penny, uh, has thrust himself into a, a timeshare on a team that wants to run the ball. Normally, you don't love timeshares, but you're probably fairly desperate at running back like everyone at this point, <laughs> unless you're extremely fortunate. And then um, Benny Snell, you know, you got to keep an eye on him. We mentioned him. Uh, he's going to be the, the thunder portion of a thunder and lightning backfield if, if James Conner is out. Uh, and given that, the, the quarterback situation that's 
uh, Pittsburgh has, they want to run the ball as much as possible and play defense. Yeah, the the rough part about Penny and Snell is that neither one of them was really involved as a receiver in their respective games. Penny had 14 carries for 129 yards and a touchdown rushing, but one target, no catches, receiving. Uh, Snell had 21 carries for 98 yards, no touchdowns, and one target, one catch, five yards receiving. That's a little bit concerning. If game script goes awry, maybe we won't see them get quite the workload that we want. But with that said, Penny had seen more targets in previous games this season. He's a better receiver than this one target outing might indicate. Uh, so I think there's a little bit more room for optimism there. And a lot of people will point to the fact that Penny had that one big touchdown run and say, oh, well, if he didn't have that run, maybe he's not that great, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. if you strip that away, he still had five and a half yards per carry in this game. So I'm with you. I think Penny has to be on everyone's radar. He's a must-add in all formats. Um, the only other team I want to bring up here are the Kansas City Chiefs. They're That's coming off a bye. Yeah, LaShawn McCoy is at 51% ownership. Daryl Williams at 6%. Where do you stand on these guys in the KC backfield? I mean, the, the most available player is probably uh, Darrell Williams. He's kind of been the only guy to be healthy the entire season and not in the doghouse. Um, you know, the... Damian Williams seems like that's who the Chiefs want to be their their running back. He's explosive, he's fast, he's a good pass catcher, fits the offense nicely, but he's had some fumbles and obviously health issues. Uh, so if Williams can get Darrell Williams can get on the the field, uh, I think there there's probably some value there, especially if he can get some red zone work. You know, coming out of the bye, uh, Andy Reid's offenses are are typically uh, a well-oiled machine. Oakland is not a particularly tough defense to score against. So I think you could see a similar production line out of Williams from week 11, where he gave you 11 carries and 35 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Williams, uh, we're going to keep saying Williams, like there isn't just like there's only one of them in that backfield. But Daryl Williams, uh, what I like about him is that, like you said, he's healthy. He has protected the football, unlike LaShawn McCoy. It seems like Daryl Williams and LaShawn McCoy both have roles in this offense, though, as long as Damian Williams is out. And with that said, I think you can look to add one or both of them, right? And how you prioritize the two depends on your scoring settings. If you're in a PPR format, I still think you want LaShawn McCoy first. If you're in a standard scoring setup, I think Daryl Williams goes slightly ahead of McCoy for me. And I don't feel strongly about this, so... Split the hairs however you want. Flip-flop them in your own waiver priorities as you see fit, listeners. But I think both these guys should be targeted off the waiver wire this week. Uh, The only other running back I want to throw out there is Raheem Mostert. Uh, As long as Matt Breda is out there, Mostert is seeing a a small but productive role for the Niners. Uh, He only had six carries, I think, uh, against the Packers last night. But he is looking good with the touches he's getting. Uh, I think that he needs to be rostered more than the 13% ownership he's at in Yahoo right now. Uh, Let's move on to wide receiver. Who's standing out to you at this position? You mentioned A.J. Brown coming off of that day. He's going to be the the top ad. For me, a couple of guys that I think are a little under the radar, keeping an eye on Tyreek Hill and the hamstring. You've got Miko Hardman probably on the wire. Uh, and, you know, again, the Chiefs in a, in a really good matchup. Hardman had a pretty good game in the original meeting between the Raiders and the Chiefs with no uh, Tyreek Hill. Uh, you know, his speed really let him get downfield for some some big plays. And then uh, in, in Cincinnati, you've got an interesting situation. Uh, Auden Tate is available. He He had a fairly limited game coming off of a scary neck injury two weeks ago. But as long as he's on the field, he's he's been 
a, a pretty solid receiver. He's a big body, something you know safe to to go to for a uh, a younger quarterback. Uh, the thing you need to keep an eye on though is John Ross is eligible to return from IR, and if he does, he's going to eat into that workload probably at Tate's expense. Uh, so if Ross could be an ad if he's activated, and you're you're getting reports that uh, he's practicing, he looks good, he's fast, everything's everything checks out. What do you think about Randall Cobb? He's at 30% ownership on Yahoo, and over the past four weeks, he's averaging seven and a half targets and five receptions for about 13 and a half fantasy points per game. Is he a player you'd be willing to start? It's I'm always worried about consistency with a player like Cobb, but he's been consistent over the past few weeks. What do you think? I'm interested in him a little bit. You mentioned the schedule coming up, Buffalo, Chicago, L.A. Uh, there are defenses that may force the uh, Cowboy offense to, to play it a little more conservative, stay underneath with Cobb, and Cobb's athleticism will let him produce a little bit extra uh, after the catch. So, in, in a situation where you need a flex or a wide receiver three, he's in that conversation as, as a guy who's, you know, he's received four straight weeks, at least seven targets. If we're going to keep chasing targets with other players, I'll throw out a few other names. Chris Conley at 15% had eight targets in week 11, nine targets in week 12, faces Tampa Bay this week. And then Anthony Miller at 12% from the Bears has 10 targets per game over the past two weeks. The last player I'll throw out here, Jacoby Myers, only 1% ownership, had nine targets in week 12. A lot of injuries in that New England wide receiver core, so maybe those guys get healthy and Myers gets relegated back to the bench, but as long as Sanu and Dorsett are missing time, Myers is a little intriguing. He caught four of those nine targets for 74 yards. Of those three players, Chris Conley, Anthony Miller, Jacoby Myers, which one do you like the most? How would you prioritize those three off the waiver wire? Probably uh, Conley, Myers, and then Miller. The, the Chicago offense is kind of a disaster, so I don't I don't know that I want to be in that market. Uh, Connolly is a is a seems a, to be a favorite of Nick Foles, and, and you know, Foles made his return here, and Connolly kind of picked back up his production. So I think there's probably better weeks ahead for Connolly, even though he's a little bit of a of a his floor is not where you would want it to be. But if you need to take a shot on somebody, he's interesting. One guy, one guy I missed there uh, in that list was Russell Gage at 7% ownership. The Atlanta slot receiver had 10 targets in Week 12, but those targets, of course, came against Tampa Bay. Do you think we can expect that same level of volume for him going forward? I wouldn't bank on it. They're going to have to be shootout games, which, you know, you think of the Falcons and, and you think shootout because they play in a dome and their defense isn't great usually. Uh, but that's just so hard to predict week to week, even on a, te- on a, a team like Atlanta. I'm going to throw out a few more guys at wide receiver for the true deep leaguers out there. All these guys are at 2% ownership or less. Uh, Andy Isabella for the Cardinals. Tim Patrick for the Broncos. He only had three targets in Week 12, but it was a very tough matchup against the Sinji Buffalo secondary. Maybe Patrick Mm -hmm. can start to ramp back up in the weeks to come. Uh, Zay Jones, Trevor Davis for the Raiders, uh, now that Hunter Renfro suffered an injury. And then Kelvin Harmon for Washington had six targets in each of the past two weeks. Paul Richardson injured his hamstring in Week 12. Harmon's pretty intriguing. Of those guys, do any of them stand out to you? Isabella, Patrick, Jones, Harmon. And actually, let me throw Alan Hearns and Gary Jennings in there because the Dolphins <laughs> suffered even more injuries uh, to their wide receiver group. Albert Wilson hurt his ribs. Jakeem Grant hurt his ankle. So somebody's got to catch passes there besides Devontae Parker. Maybe the answer there is Mike Gusecki. We can get to him when we talk about tight ends, but. Uh, I don't know. Any of these wide receivers that I mentioned stand out to you? 
Uh, Alan Hearns is a little bit interesting as a guy that they just extended. They seem to like his big playability. Scored a touchdown this past week. I, I was a week too late on him or week too early on him in DFS. I I was expecting it in week 11, uh, his touchdown, and it, it came in week 12. Um, you know, the Raiders situation, maybe, you know, if you can guess right there, but Zay Jones has just been such a hard receiver to predict yeah. his entire career. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I actually feel the same way about him as I do about Alan Hearns. I think that with Hearns, though, like you said, you're getting a little bit more locked-in volume. That's something that's a little bit more appealing. For me, I think it is Isabella as a player who was starting to ramp up his volume heading into the bye. Now he's had the full bye week to maybe get a little bit more integrated into Arizona's offense. I'm intrigued by him and his big playability. And then Tim Patrick, for the reasons I said, uh, it seems like he's the locked-in number two there behind Cortland Sutton in Denver and... I think maybe we're going to get him at a discount because of that bad week 12. I think those targets are going to go back up uh, down the stretch. Um, let's move on to quarterback. And we'll start with two quarterback slash super flex pickups. We're at the point in the season now that buys are over that you don't have to pick up all the new starters that come up at the quarterback position. You can even consider dropping some of your backup quarterbacks. I think this is especially true in super flex where you may only need to start one in any given week. Be sure to look ahead to the schedule to make sure one of your presumed starters isn't going to run into some sort of brutal matchup, of course, and beware of dropping a quarterback if the ones that you plan to keep have any sort of health concerns, uh, especially guys who are like more running heavy type of players like Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. Those guys tend to get hurt because they're taking bigger hits when they run the ball, uh, and ultimately you never know when injuries are going to strike. So having depth at QB can still be very important in two quarterback formats, but you can strip down your roster, chase upside at running back, wide receiver, wherever, maybe grab a second defense uh, to play matchups in the playoffs uh, at the expense of dropping a quarterback. With that said, there are a couple guys who I think we can look at in two QB formats to pick up this week. Devlin Hodges uh, took over for Mason Rudolph in the second half of that game. I think this was overdue. Rudolph had not been good. Hodges probably isn't any great shakes either, but it seems like the team responded when he got into the game and I think we have to pay attention to this in two QB leagues. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know that you could be worse than Mason Rudolph. So, right. Uh, it, it, he's probably going to be able to stick stick in the role if he executes the safe game plan that, that Pittsburgh's likely to to put out there and, you know, hits those high percentage throws. And that can be effective, uh, you know. Pittsburgh has some good offensive minds in their coaching staff, so it's got some potential. Right, and other than Hodges, we're not getting any new starters at the quarterback position coming out of Week 12, but if you want to do some speculative pickups, you could look to grab Drew Locke, thinking that maybe he's going to take over for Brandon Allen at some point in Denver. You can look to Gardner Minshew. Nick Foles did not look good in Week 12. We know that Minshew has been good in this Jacksonville offense earlier this season, so maybe... If Foles continues to struggle, Minshew can get back under center for the Jags. And then Will Greer, maybe, for Carolina. <laughs> but with the game that Kyle Allen just had, I think that he's bought himself a little bit more time. Uh, but, yeah, these are only speculative ads. Nothing we need to spend a whole lot of time on. Let's talk Let's talk one quarterback leagues and streaming considerations for those formats. Who's standing out to you as a quarterback who owners might look to go grab for Week 13, Mike? The first guy on my list is probably the first guy on a lot of people's list, Sam Darnold. He's looked pretty good uh, lately. He and Gase have gotten onto the same page. The offensive line has not been as atrocious. Part of that is it's a nice stretch that they've played with with pretty limited pass rushes. Uh, but they get Cincinnati, and uh, that's you know a defense that's been taken advantage of than Miami. So 
uh, you, you can get two streams out of a guy that's that's better than one. Yeah, definitely. He's been kind of the top of this list for a while. Just looking ahead at the schedule, I agree that Darnold is probably your top waiver priority if you need a quarterback. What about Kyle Allen, though? He's at 18% ownership. He's going to be at home against Washington in Week 13. Where does Allen stand for you, maybe relative to someone like Nick Foles against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or some of these other lower-owned quarterbacks? It would depend on roster construction to me. If, if you need a little bit of a safer option because you've, you've got a good team, then, then Allen maybe. You know, that game is probably going to be a fairly easy one for them to win given given Washington's uh, current state uh, but if you know if you need a guy to to possibly go off if your team has some holes or you're, you get a particularly tough matchup here Foles against Tampa Bay that's very tempting they're probably going to get behind or or be in a shootout and you know Foles is not afraid to, to throw it up there and, and with, with Shark and some of the other guys we mentioned they've got some options to do some damage in the passing game yeah, I think with Kyle Allen, you could run into a game script where Christian McCaffrey just handles a gigantic workload and does most of the heavy lifting yeah. en route to a win, whereas Foles is probably going to have to throw. And we know that with DeFilippo there that they generally want to throw, which is nice. Uh, so, yeah, I think Foles is probably your 1B to Darnold's 1A. And because Foles is at home, you might even prefer Foles to Darnold. I don't know. I, I would still probably go for Darnold because of that subsequent matchup at Miami in week 14, but if we're just looking at week 13, Mike, how do you break down Darnold versus Foles? I think it has to be Darnold. He, he's a little bit of a, a more predictable option. He's, he's been back much longer. Uh, you know how he's going to operate within that offense. And you know, for all the criticism we give Adam Gase about some, some safe play calling and uh, slow pace, things like that, he does like to take some shots. Robbie Anderson has, has been getting some chunk gains the last couple weeks that that continues that report continues to grow between he and Darnold uh, so that's something to keep an eye on now if we're missing out on all of these upper echelon streaming options and we're looking at the real bottom of the barrel guys Daniel Jones Ryan Tannehill Mitchell Trubisky Jeff Driscoll Ryan Fitzpatrick do any of those guys stand out to you as someone who might be a little undervalued relative to some bad name brand equity I think the poster boy for that is Trubinsky. He's getting the Lions on Thanksgiving, and the one thing you need to know about playing any kind of DFS or matchups on Thanksgiving is that the Lions are going to lose. <laughs> it's just what happens. They they you know they shoot themselves in the foot almost immediately, and things tend to go very poorly. Uh, so you know, in front of all of America, Mitchell Trubinsky solidifies himself as the the Chicago Bear quarterback of the future to their own detriment. I want it to be Fitzpatrick because that Eagles secondary is beatable, but with all the injuries that Miami's has had, I just I don't think that yeah. with that wide receiver group he's going to be able to deliver. Unfortunately, and the Eagles have not been as bad on the back end after getting Darby and Jalen Mills back. You know, they're, they're still beatable. I definitely targeted them this week on the the rationale that people think they're maybe not as bad, but those guys are more. Um, they're more dependable uh, in the back end. They don't tend to give up the huge plays as consistently as some of their replacements. One guy who I am mildly intrigued by, and it, I'm a little sick to say it, is Ryan Finley because he's at home against the Jets. And the Jets' defense has stepped up in recent weeks as well. But mm -hmm. if Darnold does deliver and put the Bengals into a position where they have to throw to keep up, I think Finley is intriguing as kind of like a 
you know, a really garbage DFS play maybe, you know, to save a lot of salary or mm-hmm. something like that. I don't know if I would want to run out, run him out there in a seasonal league, even in two quarterback, because at this point with no buys, you should be able to do better. But as a, as a deep DFS, you know, bargain basement guy, I think Finley is a little interesting. See, I, I, I go the other way. I think even in a blowout, Zach Taylor and the Bengals have realized it, everything is lost and they're going to still just run the ball. They're going to keep it very vanilla. Uh, you know, you, you look, uh, they've been in close games the last two weeks, but you look back to when they played Baltimore and were blown out pretty thoroughly. Finley still only attempted 30 passes. That should have been 40 passes minimum, but the, the, just the way the Bengals operate, it, it's a, uh, it's a very risky proposition to, to bank on that. Yeah, you're probably right. It's probably just wishful thinking on my part, assumption of, of rational coaching, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm curious to see how he does. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah. Let's move on to tight end. Who's standing out to you off the waiver wire at this position? Top of my list would be Kyle Rudolph. You got that that touchdown upside with him. Uh, it's been a bumpy season, but you know uh, we're on the the crest of the wave right now, so maybe ride it. Yeah, it seems like Rudolph's value is really contingent on Adam Thielen being out, though. Have you seen any reports on him? I haven't checked in on Thielen uh, yet this morning. I have not. My guess is out of the bye, he's probably good to go, but hard to say. Um, yeah, I mean the, the volume will will probably be diminished with with Thielen uh, you know, operating in that that safe space uh, underneath, uh, but you still you still get the touchdown upside uh, and at, at tight end these days if you're streaming someone that really has to be your your priority one a. Yeah, it makes sense. Now I, I have to mention Dallas Goddard here. He breaks the rule of fifty percent ownership or less. He's at fifty one percent on Yahoo, but eight targets for seven catches, thirty two yards in week twelve. Like I said before, he's the number two receiver in this offense as long as their wide receiver core remains in shambles. I think Goddard is probably my top ad if he's available. Uh, but yeah, if he's gone, I'm looking at Kyle Rudolph. I'm looking at Irv Smith maybe as well for all the reasons we laid out for Rudolph. Other players to look at, Ryan Griffin, Noah Fant, Jack Doyle is probably third for me or maybe even second behind Goddard because Eric Ebron just landed on IR. So yeah, for me it would be Goddard, Doyle, uh, and then I'd start to look at the Vikings guys and some of these other players. But what do you and, think about? Oh, go ahead. You could also uh, consider David Njoku. He's eligible to return from IR. The staff wasn't comfortable with him last week where he was at. Maybe it was a, a game shape kind of thing, and they just didn't want to activate him uh, while they've got uh, some other options. But he's a guy that's always had talent. Yeah, he was the guy I was just about to ask you about, so I'm glad we covered him. <laughs> We're on uh, the last... same page today, Greg. Yeah, no, it's it's almost as if fantasy football doesn't have to be hard, and you can just look at, you can follow, <laughs> follow the volume and follow the talent, and things work out. Uh, of, of course, it's not that simple. Um, last guy I want to throw out here, Mike Gusecki, 15% ownership. The targets are there, and the targets are probably going to continue to be there, considering all the wide receiver injuries that Miami has. But Gusecki just hasn't been very efficient. He really needs touchdowns to buoy his value week to week. And that's kind of the story with most of these unowned tight ends. But I don't know. I I think that there's something here just based on the volume alone. Like because he's seeing so many targets, maybe he busts one big one. Maybe he catches one touchdown. I think that makes him a little bit more intriguing than, say, someone like Noah Fant, who's not going to have quite as many targets but might get more high-quality targets. I don't know. That's an interesting fulcrum in terms of determining the value of these players. Where would you land on those two guys? If you're looking to pick up either Noah Fant or Mike Gusecki, which way would you go, Mike? It's funny. I was actually going to compare Gasicki to Fant as a guy that, you know, if he scores a big touchdown, that, that <laughs> that's his, his uh, path to being in your lineup and useful. Um, yeah, same page. Gasicki, he's a good athlete. He's going to have to catch one and turn it upfield probably and break a tackle from a safety, something like that. 
All right, let's move on to defense. And there are a lot of teams that are potentially out there. It's going to depend on your league, listeners, whether these teams are going to be available or not. But a lot of teams in that, say, 30 to 50% ownership range with intriguing or at least mildly interesting matchups. So I want to start there. The Tennessee Titans at Indianapolis, 41% owned. Philadelphia Eagles at Miami, 39% owned. Detroit is against Chicago at home, 38% owned. The Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving are home against Josh Allen and the Bills, 35% owned. The Carolina Panthers are home for Washington, 33% owned. And the LA Chargers are at Denver, 31% owned. They're facing off against Brandon Allen, of course. Of those teams, which ones stand out to you? Because it seems like a lot of these matchups seem good, if not great. And I don't know, it's it's kind of tough to sort through all the different options. Mm-hmm. Philly and Carolina are, are going to be probably the big ads, uh, but both teams kind of have their their faults. Uh, they're they're not complete defenses. They've given up a lot of yardage and, and touchdowns at various points in the season. The the team you mentioned that interests me a little bit is Dallas at home on Thanksgiving. Yeah, offenses tend to not be as good on the short week. You know, Thanksgiving's maybe a little bit different. You got a little more to play for, but the Thursday game usually means less offense. So Dallas at home, good pass rush. Uh, it, it could cause some problems for Buffalo, and and you know you've you've got a little bit of that that Jameis Winston programming in Josh Allen, where if things start going wrong, they can go very wrong. Yeah, I'm in full agreement. I think that the Eagles are probably the top defensive priority if they're out there, uh, then Carolina, and then Dallas. I I totally agree that if you get a young quarterback like Josh Allen who's prone to mistakes on the road in a potentially hostile environment, I mean a likely hostile environment uh, in Dallas, that that could play out well for the Cowboys defense. Let's look to some teams that are under 30% ownership next. Uh, The Colts are home against Tennessee. The Jets are on the road at Cincinnati. Green Bay is on the road at the Giants. And then Kansas City is home for Oakland. If you're in a DFS kind of uh, format, the the Chiefs getting you know a big lead and uh, having the Raiders need to keep up, throw the ball probably, uh, that, that could be a spot where multiple interceptions happen again. Derek Carr's confidence is a little shaky right now. You know that 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 tends to happen at some point in the season, and Carr becomes a little bit of a of a of a project again. All of these teams are pretty intriguing to me. I think the Colts are actually the one I like the least, despite the fact that they're owned the highest at twenty nine percent. I like the Jets against uh, the Bengals. The Bengals, like you said, have just been kind of a mess, and they're not really playing to win very often, which uh, is a good thing for the opposing defense. They might limit the volume, of, like the opportunities for interceptions, right. the opportunities for sacks. For the Jets, and that's a bit of concern. Uh, but I like the Packers as well uh, against Daniel Jones, who's just been a turnover machine. And then for all the reasons you laid out, I, I really like Kansas City, especially in DFS. Now, if we're going to teams that are definitely going to be available in most leagues, I think there are two primary options here. And you can add to this list if you want, Mike. But I'm looking at Washington at Carolina against Kyle Allen and then Cincinnati on the flip side of that Jets matchup going up against Darnold. We both like Darnold as a streamer, but you know we've seen bad Darnold too. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like these are real bargain basement type options. I don't want to be picking up Washington or Cincinnati, but if you're truly, truly desperate and say like a 16-team league and these are the options that are the types of options that you're looking at, uh, which one of these two would you prefer? Huh, yeah, that's a tough a tough uh, spot there. Probably Cincinnati given they do have some pass rushers still on the team. It's you know, they haven't been showing up, but 
they've got the ability, you know, if, you, if you're trying to project what could happen there. At home as well, which makes a difference. Yeah. And if you want to get real, real crazy, uh, you've got Arizona hosting yes. the Rams. And, you know, we've seen the wheels come off for Jared Goff. Uh, Arizona's defense has a few weeks where they've been able to to get to the quarterback and, and create some some INTs, especially lately, coming out of a bye. So they should be healthy and, and prepared for what the, the, the Rams are going to do. And if you can stop the Rams rushing attack this year, they're dead in the water. And, and you know, Jared Goff is, is a sitting duck for you. Yeah, you painted the right picture there with Arizona, right? They're coming off their bye. They're going to be well-rested, a little bit healthier. Maybe Patrick Peterson starts to look a little bit better relative to what we saw from him coming off a suspension. We know that the Cardinals have a decent pass rush, maybe not an elite one, but it's pretty good. And the Rams' offensive line is in shambles. So there is a blueprint there for Arizona to put up some points on defense. I really like that call. Let's move on to some droppable players, Mike. Are there any somewhat prominent players that stand out to you as being surprisingly droppable? Uh, not on the top of my head. Um, you, you've got uh, some down performances, but I'm, I'm not seeing any that I'm super comfortable dropping right now. Let me throw some names at you then. How about Devonta Freeman? Are you cutting bait with him? I don't know that you can cut bait with him, uh, given that if he gets back on the field, he's going to be a, a hot target, uh, meaning in the passing game. I, I think he, he's a real safety outlet for that offense. Um, I may hold him, and, and you know, obviously next week if he doesn't get on the field, you might just have to cut bait at that point. Yeah, I would probably let him go at, at this point, but I'm also very much a play-for-this-week type of fantasy gamer. Uh, mm -hmm. How about a different Freeman, Royce Freeman? He hasn't topped eight carries or 31 yards in any of the past three weeks. Yeah, the team definitely has been true to their word about shifting to, to Philip Lindsay and committing to him more, so Freeman's absolutely a cut. On the flip side of that coin, you could also say that because Freeman is the primary handcuff to Lindsay, you might want to hold on to, uh, to Freeman for that reason. If Lindsay gets hurt, maybe Royce stumbles back into fantasy value. But like I said, if you need a cut, yeah. I think Freeman can go. Uh, how about Adrian Peterson? We talked about the split between him and Darius Geis earlier. I'm actually of the opinion that because Washington isn't going anywhere, that they probably need to get Geis a few more reps and continue to slowly build him up to be more of a featured guy. I agree that they can't run him into the ground, but I do think he's slowly but surely going to take over as the lead guy in Washington's backfield ahead of Adrian Peterson. That was my thought this week coming into the matchup with the Lions that seemed exploitable but uh, did not happen. As far as cutting AP, I think that's fine if, if you've got a, an ad, if Scarborough happens to be out there still, or, or Williams if, if for some reason you're in a shallower league where people weren't ready to, to make a cut for him. Yeah, I'll throw out some wide receivers next, and you probably aren't going to push back very hard on any of these, but uh, the Eagles guys, Alshon Jeffrey, Nelson Aguilar, uh, Taylor Gabriel in Chicago, he had that one big game two weeks ago, but I think that was just matchup-based. And then yeah. Zach Pascal uh, of the Colts, who I definitely expected to see something from against Houston on Thursday night last week, but he's just not getting it done. Even with the return of T.Y. Hilton kind of sucking some coverage away, Pascal just did nothing, and I think that all of these wide receivers can go, right? Yeah, you know, maybe I, um, Alshon Jeffrey just for his touchdown equity, uh, but he, he looks like an old man out there. Yeah. Um, another interesting name at receiver, Josh Gordon, is, is a pretty popular cut so far this week, and he's only gotten two targets in both of his games. Uh, that's that's not what you would have expected for a team claiming somebody off of waivers and having wide receiver needs. 
Yeah, it's tough for guys to move into a new team in the middle of the season and be productive right away, though. True. I think True. if you own Gordon in Dynasty or something, you're probably holding him. But yeah, I think seasonally you can definitely cut bait with Josh Gordon. Uh, at tight end, Eric Ebron, we mentioned how he went on IR. That's an easy cut. And then I want to throw out TJ Hawkinson as well. He just hasn't really been the same... Uh, he just hasn't given the same type of production with Matthew Stafford uh, out of the lineup there in Detroit. Uh, would you be comfortable cutting Hawkinson? Yeah, I think that's a, something you could do as long as you've got an option that is going to at least re- receive volume, uh, target volume. You know, the, the the with Driscoll in there, it's just not the same offense. And then uh, you've got Jacob Hollister. A lot of people cutting this week, coming off of a, a down game, but I think that's a mistake. Like we said, it was an ugly game between two defenses that were getting to the quarterback easily. There's probably better days ahead for Hollister. Yeah, I agree with that. I actually like him a lot going forward here uh, to finish out the season. I'm not super excited if he's my best tight end, but if I was streaming the position, if that's the guy I landed on, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I think that he's going to continue to be productive. The targets are there, and that's what you want to see. Yeah. If he catches that touchdown, you know, if Russ Wilson puts it three feet lower, uh, then nobody's cutting him today. It might have had to have been like five feet lower. That was such an awful. Yeah, pass. he was he was moving forward and <laughs> sailed it. All right, Mike. That's all I got for this week. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap things up? Uh, just if you're interested in the Raz Bowl, you know we're we're taking applications for next year for both uh, the the main Raz Bowl and the Qualifier League. If you're a fan and and you want to get a shot at the 2021 version uh, with with the, the 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 experts, and there's also going to be a baseball version called Raz Slam coming up. So I I know you're into baseball, Greg. You're invited, and anybody else who happens to play fantasy baseball. Oh, I've already signed up for the Raz Slam, and I will be back again for the Raz Bowl next year. It, it really is a good format. I can endorse it pretty full-heartedly here the best ball aspect of it with limited pickups is really cool it's just it's a really cool way to help out the best ball format take away some of the feel bads and it gives you a little bit of incentive to actually pay attention during the season to your best ball team which is fun you know you have to look at you know maybe maybe making some waiver pickups week to week and I, I don't know it's it's been a really great format i can't wait to do it again knowing the full rules next year <laughs> right and big thanks to nffc and, and derek and greg and those guys for for accommodating that because that's never been done as far as i can tell and, and they were pretty much uh, on board right away when we approached them with that idea yeah very cool well mike why don't you let folks know uh where they can find your work where they can, where they can find you on social media and all that other good stuff so you can get me on Twitter at Roto underscore Juan, like you said, W-A-N, like Obi-Wan. And then uh, over at Fantasy Alarm on Wednesdays, you can catch my RB workload piece. And then at Razball, both football and baseball throughout the season. All right, Mike, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, listeners, if you want to follow me, you can get me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. Uh, please head over to 444.com. Check out all the great work we have going there. Make sure to get a subscription if you don't have one already. Uh, If you can take the time to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, that would be really great as well. John and Anthony will be back later this week with their Sneaky Starts and Streaming episode. Uh, And then I'll be back again next week to recap Week 13 and get you ready for Week 14 in the Fantasy Playoffs. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Most Accurate Podcast. Podcast.